Um, you know, uh, we are all born with a focus. It is a self-focus. And I don't have to go any further to prove this to you than just to say the word babies. <laughs> when you have a baby, I have not personally had a baby, but if you have had a child, you understand babies, no more proof is needed, right? When I was a baby, I didn't say to my mom, I didn't say, pardon me, mom, is this an okay time maybe for me to wake you up? No, I didn't say that. It was, make me happy right now. I had a low voice as a child, as a baby. I, I didn't say, excuse me, mother, um, when you get a minute, would you mind filling my belly? No rush, no. It was now, now, I want it now. That's the way babies are. But hopefully as we grow and as we mature, hopefully we begin to realize that life is more about what we give rather than what we get. Babies aren't aware of that yet, but as they grow up, that's our hope. Now some people never reach that point in their life. But for all of us, as we live life, there's this constant pressure for us to look at the world as a, I'm going to give a little, but I'm going to take a lot kind of opportunity. And so the, really the number one problem in life, I think we could say is ego. When I have a big ego, I am constantly edging God out of my life. That's what I'm doing. So, now, our ego can look like many different things. It presents its way, itself in many different ways. One of those ways, ego presents itself as self-advancing. Uh, self I almost said advertising. Self-advancing. And so I kind of, that's when I would kind of compare myself to you, and then I would look and figure out a way to advance myself ahead of you. And, you know, to kind of make it give just a little or just enough, you know, to kind of make it look like we're not being selfish. But really and truly, when it boils down, we really we really are self, uh, self-serving and not self-sacrificing at all. And when we do that, we're edging God out. Yeah, so for me also, or for you possibly, it could also look like this, that in life we want to take as much as we can get by with. And really, here's kind of what we do often. We want to get as much as we can, as much as we can take, but still keep people from noticing that we're taking. And so we don't want them to notice how selfish that we really are. But when we do that, we are edging God out. So at the end of the day, our ego is really very self-serving. As we're edging God out, as that happens over the course of time, moment by moment, and we make these decisions that edge God out of our life, it becomes more self-serving. That's what it looks like for me. I become more about me. And behind everything that I do, there's a motive for me. There's a motive for me to get something in return. Every decision that I make as I'm edging God out, it's about me. Behind everything that I say, I'm edging towards something that, that I want. And I'm again, as I do that, and it doesn't happen overnight, it's not an immediate thing. We don't wake up one morning and say, 
hey, I think I'm going to start edging God out. It kind of happens slowly, moment by moment, over time. Yeah. Uh, and so also, once kind of uh, in my life, with my ego, of course, I began to feel like, all right, I've accumulated some things, and now I need to protect what I have. Once I get some of what I want, and some of those things that, that many people want, they want power, or maybe they want followers, maybe they want relationships and relationship options, maybe they want money, maybe they're accumulating things, maybe they're collecting admirers, or possibly they just want attention. But as we begin to gather any of those things that we're looking for, then... We want even more of those things. There's never enough. We want more. And once we gather them, then I begin to feel like I've got to protect what I have gathered for myself. I have to protect that so that I don't lose any. And as I begin protecting all of those things I've gathered, well, I am edging God out of my life. Hey, ego, it's, again, it's promoting self. It's look at what I did, right? Look at what I did. I mean... Uh, giving giving credit to myself. And if somebody's not going to give me the credit, <laughs> I'm going to take it, right? And you take credit. We point to ourselves. We promote ourselves. We lift ourselves up. We get, uh, we get in order to get more or to feel more. Again, it just happens slowly over time, and we're edging God out with our ego. And the result, what can often happen, or what very, very often happens as a result of that, is we begin putting our own agenda, our own safety, our own status, our own gratification ahead of everybody else. And what I want, what I need, what I feel, what I think now becomes number one, two, three, four, five. And if there's any room at all at the end of that, then, okay, now I'll begin thinking about you guys. I'll begin thinking about you guys. But up until then, my ego, as I'm edging God out, it happens to where I'm simply thinking of me, and it always, it's me ahead of others and those people that really are affected by my thoughts and my actions. I mean, if we look really close, if we take a closer look at what our ego does as we allow it to grow, because let's, let's face it, we all have an element of ego. We all have that. Nobody, starting with this guy, and then yeah. running over here, all of us have this. But as we allow that ego, as we allow that status of edging God out, as we allow that to grow, and as that kind of, that, that little thing that's in the corner that doesn't affect anything, as it is allowed to grow and get bigger and get bigger, what does that look like? It, it begins to reveal um, that we're driven to advance ourselves. We're driven to advance our position, advance our possessions. And then, once we, have it, once we have advanced those things, our position, our power, our possessions, our status, once we've pushed those things as far as we possibly can, well, now we've got to protect it, right? You've got to work really hard to protect those advances that you've made for yourself. And, and it's amazing how as it's, it's almost like a cycle, it's almost like this cycle, and, and we must get more of what our, as we must get more of what our ego needs, we've got to work really hard to protect it and to keep it. Yeah, and as that ego grows in our lives, you, we begin to change the way we think, because we begin to think that we own 
everything that we have collected in our lives. We began to think that we own relationships and that we own those possessions. And we talked a lot about that uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, last week of June, I think, that we own those possessions. And we also begin to think that we own those positions that we have achieved. And here's what happens with that. What we own creates our identity. And if that makes me who I am, then I have to fight to protect it because it makes me who I am. And so we often spend so much of our time and our lives, day by day, moment by moment, protecting what we own. So we don't lose any of it because it's our identity. It's wrapped up in those relationships and it's wrapped up in those possessions and our positions, which actually, after a while, those things that we think we own begin to own us. And man, when we get to that point where we're having to protect our possessions, our position, our status, when we are having to protect that, because that's really what our identity is found in. That's who we are. We are what we drive. We are where we live. We are, you know, the country club we're a member of or the civic club that we're connected to or the travel baseball team that we're on. We're on that one, not that one. That's the bad one. That's the good one. We're on that one. When we are in that position and we find us in that position, at least in my experience, what I have found is that when people try to um, give me feedback in my life, I experienced this yesterday, going to be real honest. Me and my dad, we had some boom, boom, boom moments. Um, we were doing some work. Uh, and every time that he would tell me something that didn't really, you know, wasn't 100% positive, and it was hot, I was tired, but no excuse. I got a little bit aggressive. Yesterday wasn't a good day. But as we do that and as we find our identity in these things, any feedback that we receive that's not 100% approving, we see it as a threat. And it creates immediate fear. Immediate fear. Fear of losing uh, power. Fear of losing position, fear of losing possessions, fear of losing relationships, which is all required for our ego to have any self-worth. Because remember, we've put our identity into our stuff and into our position and our power and our status and our location in life. And when somebody questions that, man, we now have the fear of losing it. So that threat of loss that we now have encountered, that threat of loss it really means, if you boil it down, it's the loss of our identity. Because our identity is in the car we drive. Or the part of town that we live in. Or, you know, we could go on and on. We, a laundry list of, of, of examples. I think everybody understands the point I'm trying to make. But as we have the threat of that loss, we have the threat of that identity, which then, if we lose that, we equate that to failure. We're a failure. I mean, yesterday... <laughs> I felt like a failure at times because it wasn't working, you know, and it just wasn't. It was my idea, just my plan. They, they were irrigating, irrigating our pump, the pumpkin patch. If you haven't seen, system. go check out the pumpkin patch. It looks pretty good. It looks mm -hmm. pretty good. But but I felt like a failure, man, because golly, <laughs> it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And so when we when we experience that that lo that threat of loss and loss of identity and that feeling of failure, we react to any negative feedback in a very defensive way. We get defensive. And, and in order to protect 
what feeds our identity on our ego, we're very defensive. Yeah. And, and we just don't respond to anything but 100% approval. Yeah. So if our ego begins to drive our lives, then under the surface of everything that we do is this self-serving motivation. Now, that is ego. And ego is always edging God out. So if ego is under the surface driving our lives, then what looks like to you, if you're looking at my life, if ego is driving me, you might look at me and say, wow, that guy's really driven. He's so driven. But if it is ego under the surface that's driving me, then the reality is I'm not driven as much as I am responding because reacting because I'm afraid, I am so afraid that I might actually lose what I've gained. So it's a matter of me protecting my self-esteem and me having this lack of security because I've got all my security and all my self-esteem wrapped up in all these at-risk behaviors, people, and things. Now, at times, for each of us, ego will show up and will drive our lives. And every time it does, every time, we are always edging God out of our lives. So let's look at it. Let's just kind of take a few moments and really look at this idea of ego, edging God out. I mean, in its simplest form, ego, in its simplest form, it has everything to do with whom I worship and what I worship. So I'm going to read that again. Ego in its simplest form. Ego has everything to do with whom I worship and what I worship. My ego is putting something in God's place as the object of my worship. As I am, and again, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. We don't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'm fixing to boot God out of my life today. It happens moment by moment, day by day, and over time, it just all of a sudden, it has happened, and it's putting something else in God's place as the object of my worship. When anything, and I mean anything, family, my wife, my kids, my job, anything, when anything becomes more important to me than God, and I'm bowing to it, and I'm adoring it, and I'm surrendering myself to it, that is worship. That's me worshiping that person or that item or that status or that job or whatever and so really that answers the very big life question of or we can answer that very big life question of whose am I whose am I who do I belong to what does my uh what does my life say and, and it's that's the cool thing about that question of whose am I it's not answered with our words because let's be honest I don't know how many people we have in here right now I don't know how many people are watching us uh, right now, we'll watch us throughout the week, but I, I feel like everybody in this room, if I said, whose are you? I know how I would respond. Well, <laughs> I'm God's. Yes, I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I am God's. 
I mean, that's how I would answer it. Right. My words would say, I belong to God. I am a follower of Jesus. Because we know the right answer. That's the right answer, yeah. man. I've been taught that since I was like that big. I know how to answer the question. Answered with our words. It's answered by what? So to answer the question, whose am I? It's really not answered with our words. It's answered by what I do. What do I do? What do I do in my day? How do I spend my day? How do I uh, spend my time? What am I bowing to? What am I adoring? What am I surrendering myself to? And if I'm trusting in it or in that person or in that job or in that whatever thing I have placed my identity in as I have edged God out, if I'm trusting in that instead of God as my source of self-worth worth and security, that's what I'm worshiping. Yeah. And so let's think just a moment. When we let ego drive our lives, and we all have done it at times, and sometimes it's been seasons and years even, when we allow ego to drive our lives, we are edging God out of our lives. And notice, as we edge God out, who's my audience? My audience is not God. If I have edged him out of my life, my audience, the people I am performing for so that I can continue to have my ego drive my life, the people I'm performing for is you, the people around me. The audience has become other people, not God. And that means this. It means I am valuing everyone else and their opinion rather than God's opinion. That's ego. And it always edges God out. And as we have said already, it is a slow process. And that is why it so easily slips into our lives and my life and Cole's life and your life so Unnoticed. It's kind of like, you know, you've heard, you know, the boiling a frog, you know, if the, he's in the pot and he never really feels it and all of a sudden he's dead, you know, it, that's how it happens. It's just a slow process. But it's cool because Jesus gives a very specific example. Specific used to be a word I had a hard time with. Just sorry, I, I need y'all to know that. Mine I, is rural. <laughs> those R's together are tough. But back to what we're talking about. Jesus gives us a very specific example of ego edging God out. And we find it in right in the smack dab middle again of the Sermon on the Mount. It's something we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Um, and in this uh, teaching that Jesus was giving, this Sermon on the Mount teaching, which, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you really want to see that really boil really means to be a, the, a follower of Jesus, go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You, you can really boil it all down to those five chapters. But in this teaching, Jesus is speaking about how ego, edging God out, can drive us to gain more and more money so that we can feel safe, secure, and better about ourselves. Because let's face it, hey, money feels good. I'm, I mean, it feels good to know that the bank account has enough in it so that I don't have to worry about paying the light bill. That's a good feeling. But Jesus talks about, um, he kind of twists that a little bit. And, and we're going to jump into it in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Not one person in the history of this world, not me, not Harley, not you guys, have ever been able to serve 
and love the other. Masters, according to Jesus. Um, for you will hate one and love the other. So my attention and my affection is going to naturally move in one direction or another. And as my attention and my affection move in one direction, it's going to naturally drift away from that direction. I can't be two places at once. I can't be in both locations at the same time. And then Jesus goes on. He says, for you will hate one, love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. So it's almost like, you know, here in America in the 21st century, we are great at straddling fences. You know, we're really good fence straddlers. And so we, we feel like we can kind of hold both sides' hand. But it really comes down to if my heart is turned in this direction, you know, and, and this is where I'm looking, I'm looking this direction, that side's getting my back. It's turned toward the other direction. I mean, yeah. it's that simple. So ego, if we choose to let it drive us, is going to bring us at least two major problems. And those problems are these, pride and fear. And we end up constantly reacting to problems around us when we have pride and fear. So uh, I brought with me my keyboard here. This is a very special keyboard, though, not just any normal computer keyboard. This keyboard, let me get it in the light correctly here. Can you see it? It's got a little heart on it. Now, your keyboard, like my keyboard, has a whole lot of buttons that can be pushed. Tons, but not tons, but a lot. A lot of buttons that can be pushed. Each button is going to do something. And if this keyboard is attached to my life and I were to wear this around, which we all wear our own invisible keyboards with us, and when someone pushes one of your buttons, some of them have reactions and some of them don't. These I'm not so worried about. But these right here on my heart, the buttons around my heart, are some things I really hold on to tightly. And I've got some struggles. If someone hits one of these buttons, I'm going to react. And it's going to be a bad reaction. Because these buttons right in here, for me, are all buttons that are represented by some form of pride and some form of fear. If I'm letting ego drive my life and someone hits one of these buttons and they, make, they hurt my pride, they make me think, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't, or this button over here, my pride, I don't measure up. If you're talking to me, we might be in a frustration or in an argument, or maybe not, and you just say something that hits this button here on my life that says, Harley, you don't measure up. You don't measure up to everyone else. That's my pride. I've pushed some of those buttons. You, you have before. And we, we, and we, <laughs> and I react. I react. If I am worshiping, not worship, if my worship is not right, if I am letting ego drive my life and that button gets pushed in my heart, I react. So do you. We all have reactions when the wrong buttons get pushed. Whether they're pushed on accident or whether they're pushed on purpose, it doesn't matter. We have a reaction if ego is driving us. And these represent areas of pride and areas of fear. And here's our reaction. This button gets pushed and I feel like I'm not worthy. I am quick to begin to judge and maybe to belittle someone 
so that they understand, no, 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 you're not worthy. And I begin to put them in their place. Or maybe a button gets pushed and I get quickly on the offensive. Or maybe a button gets pushed, this is for sure, and I quickly speak and say whatever's on my mind to protect myself. Or a button gets pushed and I'm quick to blame someone else for something I'm really dealing with. Or I am quick to push blame away from me when it really is my fault or I do share the responsibility. Or maybe someone has pushed a button that has hurt me and my pride and so I am quick to take credit anywhere I can and to seek praise anywhere I can. Anytime ego is present it is always going to bring into our life and the buttons that we have available to be pushed, it is going to always bring pride and fear. And it's going to go with me into any relationship that I am in, whether it's at work or at church or in my family or with my friends. And it is going to poison my ego is going, and what it brings with it, fear and pride, is going to poison my relationships in all those areas. And now think about it. You have seen it. I have seen it in my life. We have lived that. When pride is introduced into any relationship, we place our self-esteem in our performance. We place our self-esteem in the opinions of others. And man, that makes us work so hard, so hard to, to, to be able to feel normal and to feel right in life. We have to keep working at it constantly because we need their opinion to make us feel normal. They need to approve of us. It's like blowing up a balloon. A balloon that has a hole in it. It's constantly losing air. And so you are constantly working to keep that inflated. It is such hard work. Every day, all day long. Do you know why? Because my performance, if that's where my self-esteem, my performance leaks. I am not always at my best. So I have to keep filling this up. And if it's your opinion of me that I have to... I have, your opinion leaks. I never can stop working. Because approval, opinion, my performance leaks. And I need more and more and more of it. So, the more I have to work to keep it inflated so that I can feel normal and secure and safe. And in doing that, as I am working so hard to keep my life inflated, to keep people's opinions of me approving of me, and my performance to a level where you can approve of me, the more I focus on that, my back is slowly turning to God and I am instead turning to everyone else. 
and the more I actually, I am seeking your approval, but the more I do that, the more I am poisoning our relationship. That's the way it happens. Because I am dependent, at that point, I'm dependent upon you for me to feel okay. Well, and, and to me, fear is as much as pride. Pride's huge, but I think fear is a big part of that too. That fear of losing what we have and what we worked for and what be a good thing. Fear can keep us from doing some really stupid stuff. Fear has kept me from doing some really dumb things in my life. And, and, and it can be a good thing, but, but toxic fear, toxic fear is a bad thing. Because fear can become toxic. Now, an appropriate fear and an appropriate respect toward God, absolutely, it keeps us turned toward God and our back toward everything else. But, man, a toxic fear of man, a toxic fear of losing man's approval, a toxic fear of losing uh, your approval, your approval, in whatever area, that approval can come in our jobs. And we've already listed all of them, our jobs, our possessions, our family, our you know, I mean, you've got a trophy wife, or in Beth's case, she has a trophy husband. <laughs> Beth just stuck her head around like, yes, yeah, thumbs up. But whatever it is, um, fear can become toxic. I'm a trophy husband if you like bowling balls. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Even if I'm being honest, you know. But it, toxic fear keeps our back turn toward God instead of the other way. It keeps our back turned toward God. Poisonous fear, it makes us more worried about what the other person thinks about us. Um, it makes us, in fact, more worried about what the other person thinks about us instead of what God thinks about us. And, and that very same fear um, that, that poisons, it, it poisons the very relationship that we're dependent upon to feel okay. Because you think about it. Like what Harley does a really good job on that balloon, by the way. But as we're, you know, you're blowing that balloon up, and why are you constantly, why are we constantly blowing that balloon? Because that's where our identity is found. Our identity is found in having to constantly work to keep that balloon blown up, blown up so that we can seek approval. It's constant. And yet the relationship that we really need to feel okay Man, that poisonous fear is killing it, that relationship with God. Toxic fear, it's an ego issue because we're edging God out. It leads us to be self-conscious about the way we look or the way we talk. I don't know if anybody just noticed that little, you know, bad. That you blowed it I, up. I blowed it up, you know, and Harley <laughs> caught it. He laughed at me. I don't know if y'all saw that or not. <laughs> but we're self-conscious about the way we talk and the way we look and the way we, we can go down the list. We're self-conscious of those things. And so because we're self-conscious, we try to cover it up because we don't want other people to know. We try to hide because we don't want other people to know. We're afraid that our weaknesses um, or our behavior is going to be found out. And that's the last thing. We really don't want people to know the truth. And it destroys relationships. Yeah. I mean, toxic fear is an anti-God state of mind. You know, uh, our growing ego problem eventually creates an addiction. It's an addictive dependence on risky security and self-worth. 
Addiction is, I love this definition, it's an ever-increasing desire for something that has an ever-decreasing ability to satisfy. Man, it's a trap. And it starts out voluntary all the time. All the time. We're trying to experience something desirable, and we choose that. But it ends up as a compulsion that grows continually stronger and eventually out of control. That's addiction. And addiction happens when we seek more and more of something to feel normal or to feel better about ourselves. And we can find it in possession. We can find it in position. We can find it in relationships. Not all addictions revolve around a substance abuse. If we feel that our source of security and our source of how we feel about ourselves is at risk, then toxic fear that Cole talked about, it jumps into our lives and it begins to poison our daily decisions, things we're doing, why we're doing them. It poisons those decisions and thus it poisons the relationships around us. A workaholic, that was me for most of my life. A workaholic, they're afraid to slow down. A control freak, they're afraid of failure. A fitness addict, that's my real struggle. <laughs> I'm going to write a book after I get fixed. <laughs> a fitness addict, maybe they're, I can't relate to that at all. Maybe they're afraid of illness or aging. Say, when I saw that all day, I thought, do we really need to go there? <laughs> a fitness addict, uh, maybe afraid of illness or aging. I'm not sure why they would do that to themselves. An approval addict. I can relate to that. The fear of rejection. A relationship junkie, just simply afraid to be alone. The evil one has a definition of how we get our self-worth. And if he could write it down, this is probably what it would be. Our self-worth is equal to our performance plus the opinions of others. And I've already said, my performance is not great all the time. And the opinions of others, well, that's just fickle. It changes. So that is always going to lead to anxiety for me, to self-doubt for me, and toxic fear for me. The destructive result of pride and fear is always, first, separation from God eventually separation from other people and separation from ourselves. Right, but so, okay, we've laid all this out there. Now what, right? What, what, what next? What's the answer? God actually, he's got a plan for this. He has a really, his best plan. I mean, I've got plans. My plans can be good. My plans can be better even. God's plan is best. And he's got a, a plan and an answer to my ego addiction. So, so remember, ego, edging God out, ego. But it actually has a mirror image. If you look at it and you flip that and you look at it as a mirror image, you get the letters O-G-E. Instead of E-G-O, you get O-G-E. Only 
God exalted. You say, really, that, that's it? That's the plan? That's the plan. O-G-E, only God exalted. Edging God out leads to self-serving. Every time. Because I have to serve myself to pump that ego because that's where my identity is in. And if I don't have that thing, fear and pride are quickly to follow. So edging God out is self-serving. It leads to me before you. But O-G-E, only God is exalted, it leads to serving. It leads to well, what we've got behind us and what we have plastered on all the promotional materials for this series. You before me. Um, have you ever heard of uh, the, the phrase alter ego? The phrase alter ego? So an alter ego, you know, if you, it's, it's really interesting, alter, A-L-T-E-R, alter ego. If you actually change the spelling of that, it works really good. Alter ego, A-L-T-A-R, alter ego. Because when it all breaks down and we kind of lay it out and we just put our cards on the table, we really have a worship problem. We have a worship problem in the United States. We have a worship problem in Stuttgart. We have a worship problem at Stuttgart Harvest Church. We have a worship problem. We have edged God out so much. Little by little, moment by moment, decision compounded upon decision. We've edged God out so much that now we're just worshiping something else. We're worshiping someone else or something else. And our response has to be to put our ego on the altar. A-L-T-A-R, altar, ego. Put our ego on the altar. Jesus actually talked about it um, in Matthew chapter 22. This is... Uh, uh, when Jesus was, was in his earthly ministry for that three-plus years, he constantly had religious leaders of, of his day coming up to him and trying to ask him questions and trick him because the religious leaders of, of, of Jesus' day did not like Jesus. They liked nothing about him because Jesus came to flip the script, turn it upside down, and it was um, causing the religious leaders of the day not only some emotional stress it was causing them some financial stress and it really was going to change something that they loved and so they would constantly try to catch jesus in mistakes and ask him questions and we have one of those accounts right here in matthew 22 verse 36 and it's a religious with the religious leaders come and they say teacher speaking to jesus which is the most important commandment in the law of moses so they're like hey all that other stuff answer this one what's the most important law number one not number two, not number ten, number one. If we do not follow anything else, which one do we follow? And Jesus replies, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus gives us right here very clearly our number one value. Worship God only. Now he goes on in the next few verses and he kind of adds to that and we're going to talk about that next week but the first one was worship god worship and who do we worship we worship god worship is actually being in awe of god being in submission to god and being uh worship is bowing down and serving god and if you remember back in matthew chapter 6 verse 24 we're either worshiping god or we're worshiping something else or someone else and it happens moment by moment, decision by decision, every day of our lives. Because Jesus, again, he said that the number one commandment was worship God, but he also said back in Matthew 6, 24, you're going to worship God, or if you're not, you're worshiping something else because you can't do both. 
He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. There's no in-between. There's no straddling the fence. Right, one or the other. When we do choose to worship God and God alone, exalting only God, He becomes our only source of our self-esteem, what God thinks of us. And He becomes our source of security. And God alone becomes our audience. And so we are living life to perform honestly for God and God alone. As our audience, as our judge, we are not performing for others so that we can get their approval. We are living life for God. And you know what the result of that is? If we are worshiping God and God alone, all of our life becomes a worship experience. That is everything we say and everything we do becomes a worship experience because we are aware moment by moment of God's presence in and around our lives and we begin to do everything and say everything for His glory and that is worship. Worship is not what happens here on Sunday for an hour. No. Worship is all day long, every single day. It is the exact opposite of ego. Our ego is always edging God out of our life. And the exact opposite of ego is O-G-E only. God is exalted. The result of us only exalting God is actually the opposite of pride and the opposite of fear, which is what comes with the result of our ego. The opposite of pride is humility before God. That comes as we exalt Him only. Only He is exalted. The opposite of fear is confidence, us having confidence in God. Have you ever thought about that? That fear we have in our life is because we have confidence in the wrong thing. But when our confidence is in God, there is no fear related to that. If our worship is right on a daily basis, moment by moment, then only God is exalted. And it makes me and it will make you respond differently in life. We won't be reacting as the buttons are pushed. We will instead be making a choice to respond. If my worship is right, when mistakes and errors happen around me, I will respond with forgiveness. Do you know why? Because I am well aware in that moment of how God responds to me with forgiveness. And that is supernatural. I cannot manufacture that. That is a God thing. As I worship Him only, when my worship is right, it's supernatural. You know what the opposite of forgiveness is? It is judgment. 
When my worship is right, then I begin responding to the imperfections of people around me with grace and with acceptance because I see that person as someone of worth, someone who was created by and is loved by God. Again, that is a supernatural response as I have my worship right, exalting only God. Our highest value at Stuttgart Harvest Church, our highest value is this, to get our worship right. And we're talking about moment by moment, all day long, every day. We're not just talking about an hour on Sunday. Our highest value is to get this worship thing right. We want the opposite of ego. Can you imagine if every individual who's listening online and who is here face to face, if we would get our worship right to get ego out of the way and only God is exalted in every decision we make, everything that we say. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives and in the lives around us and in this church? When we get that right, when we get that right, our worship right, then everything else about Stuttgart Harvest Church begins to flow from that. And that's when we can begin to develop the you before me way of living. Saying, God, I want you before me. You, God, exalted. Not me, not my ego. You, God. And we can say, God, I want others around me first, not me. Last week we reminded you of what our vision is at Stuttgart Harvest Church. McKinley's going to have it on the screen. And I would just ask, would you join me even at home? I know it's weird to talk to your TV or your computer screen or to be looking at your phone. I know this is weird. But will you join me in here and on whatever device that you're watching on? Will you join me a phrase at a time? I'm going to say a phrase, and then I would like you to repeat that phrase. Will you join me? Let's say this together and let's say it like you mean it from your heart here we go we are changing lives say that with me we are changing lives by loving the father family and friends that makes jesus smile and we want to make jesus smile thank you and i even heard harper's sweet voice right there Thank you. That is who we are. And we are, it is not us changing lives, but we are part of the process by God's design. We are changing lives by loving the Father, family, and friends. And that makes Jesus smile. And boy, do we want to make Jesus smile. And it starts right here. By loving the Father. We want to get our worship right so this week we just remind you 
our number one top priority, supreme value that makes Stuttgart Harvest Church who we are is to worship God and God alone. Because we cannot love others properly or appropriately until we begin to love God supremely. You know why that is? Because we can't love others best until we love God the most. Now, that brings us to this. Each week of this series, we're going to give you a challenge, a you-before-me challenge. In every cup holder uh, at all the seats, we have a stack of cards for you. There's three, four, five cards in there, depending what your luck is, is how many you've got. We gave everyone several cards, and we're going to challenge you to take those cards with you today. Now, you may come up with a better idea. That is okay. That is fine. But just in case you're struggling with ideas of how to use this card, which says, hey, this is just because, which means you have done something for someone just because the card says you matter. And so we're looking for ways to just do something for someone just because. And this card is going to do the work of pointing them toward Jesus. We have given you about three, maybe four ideas. You've got to go to the online worship guide. If you don't have access to that, then please stop me and I'll find a way to get you the information. The online worship guide at the very bottom of that online worship guide, scroll all the way down to the bottom, I've given you three or four ideas of how you can use these cards. This week, we are suggesting a gas station blitz. And I would challenge you to take the challenge to do one a day. I've given you several ideas of something you could do or try. You could take one idea and do it each day. Or you might even come up with your own idea that might lead you to another place. That would be fine too. A gas station blitz as we begin to tell the world around us, hashtag you before me. I hope you'll take this challenge with us. I hope you will take each of these cards and you will get them into the hands of someone else with a loving act of service. I've given you ideas. You might come up with your own. You might say, Harley, that's gas station things. That's just not me. I know. It's humbling, isn't it? It's humbling. I remember the first time that as we, before we even began Stuttgart Harvest Church, that we decided to go out and do something like this, and we went out to the Walmart parking lot, and we just began to give things away. We were giving away, I think, I don't know, granola bars or something, and attached to them, we had a, a card similar to this attached to it, just telling people, hey, you matter, you matter to God, you matter to us. And I remember the, just the fear, the anxiety because it all revolves around, that fear and anxiety revolves around, what will people think of me? And every time we begin worrying about that, guess what's happened? Slowly, that ego is rising up. And as it rises, it's edging God out. Would you, this week, step outside of that comfort zone with us and let's go 
love people. And guess what? You can still do. We've got these cards right here, the other ones that say you matter to God, you matter to us. And on the back was a place for you to put your phone number and stuff like that. Please don't use this at the gas stations. Don't pass your phone number out to people you don't know. Please don't do that. The phone number cards, those are for your neighbors. Now, you may not know your neighbors, but it's a safer bet to go take your neighbor a card with your phone number on it. These are for your neighbors. If you need some more of these, they're located out at the cracker table. <laughs> I just decided to put them at the cracker table. You can grab more of these. These cards that say, just because you matter, these cards are for the, the little service projects for people you have no idea. And you're not hanging around, really, to, for information. This is kind of blitz. You just do that service thing, give them the thing. There's three good ideas on the online worship guide. Go there, use that, or come up with your own. Use these neighbor cards for your neighbors. Let's go out this week, and let's humble ourselves before God and not worry about what other people think and how crazy it seems and appears just Go love people. And do you know what the New Testament writers said this was like? They said this. We have become fools for Christ. Because they were hashtag you before me. Let's pray. Jesus, you said to us that we must love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. And you said that is the first and the greatest commandment. And Jesus, we know that in order to love others appropriately, we are going to have to love you supremely. You must be at the center of our worship and we must lay our egos on the altar and we must only exalt you, God, because you, Jesus, told us that none of us, none of us can serve two masters. We will hate one, we will love the other. We will be devoted to one, we will despise the other. And may we love others best this week by loving you, Jesus, the most. May we turn our backs on our ego, and may we run to you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen.